and welcome back to Literally Literary. If this is your first time joining us, be sure to check out our previous episodes. This episode, we are beginning our discussion on The Ones Who Don't Say They Love You by Maurice Carlos Ruffin. In this episode, we will give a brief overview and discuss the first nine stories in the collection. and ready to talk books, not football. <laughs> That's the other podcast. <laughs> you have to look for it, though. Like and subscribe. <laughs> anyway, though, speaking of other podcasts, this is, in many ways, uh, a sequel because mm, yes. this is one of our first, hopefully, of many returning authors because, mm-hmm. as you heard at the beginning of the show, we have Mar- Maurice Carlos Ruffin, his second book. Um, We talked about We Cast a Shadow in our first season uh, pretty early on. So if you guys want to catch up and see those, listen to those episodes, go check them out. Uh, But we got new work. And what do we, what what can we say about the book? Just kind of off the bat, off the cuff. It's good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Really into it. I, I was so excited that last night I texted you both saying that I was looking forward to today and that the stories were fire. I think I said something. Yeah. Trying something to be like, like the youths, you know. <laughs> They're like. Is going to be a running joke now on the, on the show? <laughs> um, I'm going to have to actually go back and listen to those episodes. So thank you mm-hmm. for reminding me because I have not read anything else by him. Sorry to say. Um, a little embarrassed. But I'm excited because this is what I'm starting with and I'm already like oh so yeah. excited about it and I want to bring a couple of these stories into the classroom and I already text other colleagues and told them like <laughs> you got to get this book so um that's my initial reaction to this collection and we're only like five stories in. yeah mm-hmm. yeah so today we plan on covering the first half um mm-hmm. did initial you want to yeah um yeah I mean I love it um I was scared to approach it because his writing is just, just the way he writes is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was scared to approach it, but these stories are really short, really sweet and simple. Um, but they're tackling like a lot of really important topics. Um, yeah. And I don't think it's like, I guess not as scary. Cause like once you start it, like mm. it goes by. Yeah. So what do you mean by scared to approach it though? Like what was, what were you hesitant I'm always just scared to start a new book, honestly. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm like, yeah. I think, the, yeah, just I didn't the know task. if it was because of the author or I think what a little bit of that it. too. Um, I mean, I loved We Cast a Shadow, mm-hmm. um, but I know that these are like, I guess, topics that I'm not used to hearing about. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it was the same thing with We Cast a, Sh- a Shadow, I think. Um, so with this one, I was a little bit more hesitant, like, I didn't know what was coming. So I was like, I'm going to wait on that. Mm-hmm. And then once I did, I was like, oh, wait, these are like, obviously don't have to finish it all in one sitting, but it's easier to just read like one or two stories because they're so short. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so that's actually my my initial thoughts fall in line with with your guys' stuff because um, one, he's, he's a relatively new author. So, right. We wouldn't even fault any of you guys for never really uh, touching his work. I think that okay, is one you. of the, that is one of the missions of the podcast though, right? Is to, to yeah, new work, upcoming artists. Yeah. And so when we, 
we're able to to meet uh, Maurice uh, on a panel with with Kali. You know, we were really excited to mm-hmm. to venture forth and look at his work um, because they were both finalists, right, for the the book National Book Award. And uh, also worth pointing out that uh, We Cast the Shadow um, was also a finalist for the Penn Faulkner Award, which is you know one of the most prestigious that mm-hmm. you can get as a writer. Um, I, I would say in many ways, again, going back to first impressions, I think this collection is maybe a better introduction to, to Maurice mm. as a writer than we can. I mean, I really love We Cast a Shadow. Yeah. I think it's great. It is more dense. It's a novel. So mm-hmm. and it, I think there is a little a lot more commitment. I think one of the great things about short story collections is that kind of going off of what you're saying, Vanessa, that it's digestible to short and sweet. Yeah. Um, we get snapshots of the city right and so we talked about this a bit um the first time around when we were talking about we cast a shadow we also had the privilege of getting to take a phone call with him i don't know if we'll have a chance this time but if we do that'd be excellent so it doesn't hurt to ask right um Mm -hmm. but one of the big (laughs) there you go nudge nudge Uh, (laughs) one of the things that i think maurice and I, I hope he's okay with us calling him Maurice. I know, like you first know, right? name basis. Like, yeah. like he's our buddy. It just, how? I've mentioned in the, in the show before, like when I was going to like grad school and everything, like or not even in undergrad, you know, some of professor professor would be like, uh, "You don't know them personally," like so you use your last. Like, you know, we know formally we refer to an author with their last name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But hey, yo, we've met them, so <laughs> so is that know, different? That uh, <laughs> Does that change things? I don't know, but uh, I'm sure he'd be okay. I haven't met him, so I'm still gonna refer to him as Mr. Ruffin or Mr. Ruffin. Ruffin. <laughs> so <laughs> it's on you, but also we got a great sound clip from him. So check it out. This is it right here. Literally literary podcast, the greatest book podcast in the world. <laughs> and then I'll answer it. Anyway. Um, so I'll try and be brief so we can continue onwards. But one of the things that I, I just want to do to point out is that from getting to speak to him in previous episodes and mm-hmm. his his talk that he had with uh, Kali Bahadur Landstein when we went to the AWP in San Antonio just before everything closed down. I know it seems so You're just flexing all over so long ago. Yo, I don't know. Like Kali. we could talk a lot about that. We and then I we do mention it. I believe, you know, how, how disappointing it was because mm. even then, like, half of it, it was, like, half. Like, a lot yeah. of people canceled, a lot of panels. But thankfully, they still did their thing, and, and we were able to talk and meet. And um, yeah, one of the things that, that we hear from, from Maurice is that, you know, New Orleans is one of the big cities in the U.S., and, and it's so it has such a rich history, a deep history. Um, and even in the arts um, and especially in mm-hmm. music, right? Yeah. In jazz music that, you know, it's it's kind of surprising that there isn't as well known of a literary tradition as opposed to say like some of the bigger cities, New York City, San, uh, San Francisco, Chicago, like those are like big writing cities. And, and mm-hmm. you know, New Orleans for as, as big of a as bridge of a deep culture it has, like the literary traditions aren't quite as there. And so he talks a lot about that. You know, that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I'm going to mention it. So, I mean, one of the things that we get right off of the bat talking about this collection is that you see a lot of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different experiences. And 
just to tag off one last thing you were saying and then I'll pass it <laughs> off because I'm I don't, I don't want to talk that long, you know? But it's different, you know? A lot of the books we've been reading, of course, are on the border, mm-hmm. Mexican-American experience, Chicano, Latino, Latina yeah. experiences. Um, and so here we get a little bit of a different look and culture. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'm loving that. Yeah. So... I'm going to pass it back to you because you were going to talk about the quote. <laughs> which which quote? You know the Marcelli. quote. <laughs> you know the quote. Well, I was trying to be Yeah, because it was um, it was something you were talking about pre-show and it ties into what you're saying about New Orleans being this presence and the mm-hmm. literary. Because um, it does feel like a, like a breakthrough of voices. I mean, and maybe it, I feel like it might not be, maybe I just don't read a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So it seems right. like and it's not to new? say that it's not there either, right? right. Um, um, and I, he definitely acknowledges it. I don't want people listening to think that, you know, I'm saying like, there's no literature, right? It's obviously there. I'm kind of just taking a cue from him mm-hmm. when he talks about it in not just our interviews, but book talks. And mm-hmm. um, it is, it's, and it's obviously blooming so much. Mm-hmm. One of the cool mm-hmm. things that he got to talk about was like how how much it impacted the, the community and how and how the community wanted to, p- to support so much. He talked about like a mm. restaurant helping him out and everything and people yeah. were like lining up to get the book and beautiful stories like that. You know, the kind of people that you read about in the stories here. Um, but literary traditions, one of the things that I liked and we cast a shadow is that I think Maurice has, I mean, he's definitely influenced by a lot of uh, major authors and traditions. And so we had alluded to Ralph Allison and Invisible Man in particular, because I think that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite books. That's also one of uh, Jorge Gomez's favorite books. We talked about that. Um, I don't know if it's one of yours. I don't want to, you know. <laughs> yeah, that. I don't know. I'm not, I haven't read that one yet. <laughs> yes. What? Yo, you're a literature major? Okay, you're a college student? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Talk to my, no profess- shaming, no talk shaming to my professors. I didn't pick the books. They did. The great thing is that in our in our in our literary journeys, there are many paths up a mountain. So when it is meant for you, it'll it'll be there. Anyway, um, so he does make reference, and and so, so the epigraph we have Ellis Marcellus, who is the patriarch of the great jazz Marcellus family. Uh, so Ellis is a pianist, and so you know we were talking about the connections with Ralph Ellison and Invisible Man. Uh, Ellison, of course, invokes Louis Armstrong. Uh, another much, much celebrated jazz musician. Uh, and and uh, in Invisible Man, right, the, the framing of it is around what did I, the question, what did I do to be so black and blue? Um, and I feel like mm, We Cast a Shadow has a lot of Ellison-type references. Um, so, you know, again, just going back to Maurice's style, do you want to include a lot of, well, Include a lot of literary references. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this pre-show, how great it is to discover one, and we're going to get to that. If there's yes, more on that. We'll put so a book stoked. bookmark there. But um, <laughs> so the quote is from Ellis Marcellus: "In New Orleans, culture doesn't come down from on high; it bubbles up from the street." And I think that this is a great invocation to these sets of stories because, um, you know, we're getting a lot of voices, but he's letting us know already that it's not people up on high, right? The people in power and position, but it's maybe people more marginalized or in the margins, or maybe just not as seen. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Or 
protected in society. And I think there's a little bit of blues at play here. So the fact that it, it's, a, it's a jazz pianist quote, you know, talking about that, um, it makes me think of Invisible Man's, you know, uh, the lower frequencies who I speak for, right? Um, speak for thee. Well, that's a misquote, but, you know, I'm thinking of, of that. And and um, we wanted to tie a little bit to the title because we were discussing, right, the meaning of it. And it's it'd be great to ask like, why he chose that as the title and it's the first piece. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, I just wanted to kind of draw that literary reference to We Cast a Shadow and to this. Um, and I'm looking forward to exploring some of those themes, right? Because that's what the blues is. Um, anyway, how yeah. you, how you do how you guys doing? <laughs> I've been talking a lot, so I'm just gonna step back and ask you guys questions now. Okay, ask away. <laughs> well, no, I mean, so we're ready. All right. Um, I I really like Kali Fajardo Einstein's um, blurb that she has in the back of the book that goes into or ties into what you were saying about blues and stuff. Um, I'm only reading part of it, but told with humor, insight, and radical empathy, these stories will linger in your heart and mind like the fading song of a brass band by Brinton Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested in seeing like how blues or jazz or music in general um, are are used within these stories or, or play a part within these stories. Mm-hmm. We have seen them in a few so far, but we've, we've only read the first... Um, Nine stories. <clears throat> Count faster so. than I can. It's like one, two, three, four. Yeah. Oh, never mind. Um, and it's a, it's a definite like backdrop, but like New Orleans, brass bands, like the food, the culture, and all of that. It's what we know or what we think we know mm-hmm. based on what we've read about New Orleans or seen New Orleans, um, tourist attractions, all that stuff, which he also talks about. Right. They're calling so, out. Like, yes, calling that out. Tourist culture. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Stuff we're all, you know, guilty of if we're tourists in a foreign city. No, not <laughs> no, you, too cool. Okay. <laughs> right away, I go and find the jazz musicians. I'm like, yo, you show would. me the real spots. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Show me the nitty gritty. No, honestly, though, that is kind of what I like to do is try and find, like, artistic looking people. Do what the locals yeah. do. Like, where do you yeah. hang out? <laughs> Touristy spots are full of <clears throat> random people who aren't part of that space so Mm -hmm. it's gonna still feel foreign it's gonna feel like an attraction it's kitsch Mm -hmm. yeah always find the locals ask them where they hang out good advice (laughs) so if you guys are in El Paso come find me (laughs) (laughs) I'll take you to the best breweries (laughs) Mm. the best food Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so the title story, The Ones Who Don't Say They Love You, I think we all agreed was a difficult story to begin with, mm. to open up the collection with. Mm. We struggle getting through it, and I think for different reasons. Um, it was a little jarring just with the language for me. Um and upon the second read and after talking about it a little bit with you both, it was like, oh, this is what the story is about. Things that I didn't catch because I might have been reading too quickly mm. or mm. dismissing it subconsciously. Um, and then it felt heavier the second time. <laughs> mm. So 
I'm interested in reading it a third time and seeing if if I can get what he's trying to do with this story. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I know you all felt the same about it being a dense, hard to read kind of story uh, compared to the other ones anyway. And then mm-hmm. we haven't finished the book, but yeah. um, to start with, and, and I, it's a bold choice, right? Why would he start mm-hmm. with this and why would he title the collection mm-hmm. um, after the story? Yeah. So I don't think we have the answer to that yet. If I were to suggest one, I mean, mm-hmm. going off, off of the, the quote I was just mentioning, right? Not starting with, with the higher look, higher view of things, mm-hmm. but from the street, we yeah. literally go to people working the streets, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a very unique subculture that I think maybe one of the things that some of us had issues, not not issue with, but like not like initially grasping it is because it's one we're unfamiliar with mm-hmm. in terms of a subculture. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know, also mentioning stylistically, right? The, it is very drawing because we're met with a very, very uncommon point of view right in mm-hmm. second person we hardly ever get that in in literature um and then on top of that um we also have uh, a vernacular that isn't isn't as common right well i don't want that's the wrong phrase that's the wrong way to say it too like not that it's not common but it's in it's literature it's it's maybe more of like a common vernacular um or one that we're not used to reading and so mm-hmm. i think that part is jarring all these aspects here, but there is a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we learn a little bit, and and we kind of have the introduction of, again, speaking solely on the first half because that's what we've read so far. I've noticed that police presence, mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. entities so far have been antagonistic for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are the main characters of each one, yeah. So I, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, mm-hmm. It is. The opening story, it's also where we get our title, mm-hmm. right? And so we were talking a little bit about what that means, the ones who don't say they love you. And, of course, it comes from the relationship between our main narrator. It's so hard to do second person. I love it, though. I love reading second person point of view stories like this, especially that are so specific to a mm. lifestyle mm-hmm. yeah. or, or a an experience that you aren't going to be familiar with. So it's already like, mm-hmm. wait, but you're, it's me, but it's not me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's meant to create, like you were talking about earlier, like that cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. right? Which mm-hmm. we yeah. see throughout like, a lot of these stories. We're asked, like, what are we reading here? Um, yeah. And before the show, I, I shared my anxiety with you guys about my possibility of misreading it, you know, uh, so it's presented, right, that they're they're dancing, dancing, tap dancers, tap right, dancers. putting mm-hmm. caps on their shoes to to dance. But it seems more so what, what's happening here is they're kind of pro- sex workers, right? And so mm-hmm. there's a specific group here, uh, the narrator. And then you have uh, elder workers as well that he mentions, Pink and, and Quincy, and it seems like there are hierarchies. Because mm-hmm. uh, it was like they give him a lot of trouble for it, um, and kind of one of the main characters that interacts with our with our narrator a lot is Mister Jelnik, right? And so he's a client, so to speak. Um, and so he's kind of the subject. He's the one who says he doesn't love him, right? But that's also the and this is 
one of our main questions and probably one of the hardest questions of the entire book so far that we've had is mm-hmm. <clears throat> in on one end, our narrator seems young and a little naive in some instances. Mm-hmm. This notion that he's going to be taken, you know, this man will fly him to a new place, right? And whatever that means, leave leave the place, right? Maybe have a better I'll get you out of life, this. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Like I'll save you. Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, there is a little bit of, to me, skepticism and, and cynicism, right? And we saw that. So the whole, that whole dialogue goes around page eight, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Where we get the title. And we were re- referencing the Leonardo DiCaprio meme. So <laughs> I think that's going to be a staple of this show, right? Where <laughs> like, that's the reference. I get that reference, right? So yeah. Same like when the title's mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, in the middle of the page. Um, by the way, we didn't. I didn't touch on it when you read Callie's blurb. Mm-hmm. The humor, you know, mm-hmm. I love the humor that he uses, and uh, and again, through different characters' voices, I think yeah. he does a pretty great job of presenting it in those different ways. So of course you have. The narrator here talking about the French Quarter, haha. <laughs> and if it's small, it should be the French dollar, haha. <laughs> you know, and that's that's my kind of humor. So I was already like laughing. <laughs> um, but it's in that same paragraph where it changes, right? Um, there's a tree outside with heart-shaped leaves. You count those leaves. You never get past fifteen. And all the times you've done business with Jelnik, he never say he love you. That's the only reason you listen to him at all. The other ones always say they love you. So it's not exactly the title, right? Mm-hmm. It's, but it's kind of the essence of it. Mm-hmm. But this is where you get a sense of cynicism. And I don't know, what do you how, what do you guys read from that? Like, I'm curious on your thoughts. Um, I kind of took it as the ones who are saying they love him are the ones that are like using him and mistreating or I guess you, me, me. Yeah. I don't know how how to yeah. go about talking about the character because it's oh. you. I don't know. Uh, you is it me? Is maybe it me? it's the universal you when you? it becomes. Okay, know. yeah. No, probably not. Um. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, especially in like the line of work that we're talking about, kind of like something that's expected or that's mm-hmm. just like loosely used mm-hmm. or said. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. There's enough sense of that, like a kind of a, an intuition mm. of sorts, right? Mm-hmm. You said, and working in that line. And also, you know, they do discuss like the competitiveness of it and how mm-hmm. these other um, people, Pink and Quincy, uh, can be violent towards him, right? And mm-hmm. it's also in the end where this little bubble of an idea of him possibly being quote unquote saved, not saved, but, you know, tra- mm-hmm. uh, getting to travel out of the city with this man, Mr. Jelnik is popped uh, for a brief moment. You have these uh, Quincy and pink mocking him a little bit. Like, Oh, he really think that's, you really think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, yeah. And then of course it ends with the, the image of, of Jelnik in the police car. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of ending on that cynical blue blues note, right? Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. on the streets because uh, <clears throat> it, it constantly mentions like the police presence mm-hmm. throughout this little mm-hmm. opening story. So to end with this, you know, and see where we're going. And of course, just one of many like vignettes of New mm-hmm. Orleans, New Orleans. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I was listening to an interview earlier with him and I was like, New how Orleans. does he say it? Because, you know, New, New Orleans. Orleans. Nolens. Nolens. I hear Nolens all the time. <laughs> Vanessa, you liked Cocoon. That's the next story. Yeah. Which yes. is I two pages. One. A page and a half. Yeah. I loved it too. Why'd you love it? Um, There's just so much that's being said and it's so short. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that, that, was, that he was able to accomplish that. Um, there's so many strong images. Um... I don't know. I just, hmm, what else can I say? So just like the premise of the story, if you want to talk about that. Yeah. So. The title, how that ties into it. Is that a spoiler? Um, sure. <laughs> so do. make sure you read the book before yeah. you <laughs> listen on. Spoilers <laughs> coming. I feel like we've passed that point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, maybe you guys Richie have, but not me. like, at the no, end. I'm, no, I'm already like, <laughs> he did what? <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's about a father and a son um, and their bug company and how the son really isn't into this job, but he does it because it's something that he's able to do with his dad. And his dad is really fond of having this company with him. Um, but he's also very intuitive. Like, it's something mm-hmm. that his dad's like kind of forcing on him. I'm sorry to like no, interrupt. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like that's such an important part because he knows it and it's mm. intuitive to him. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he hates it, kind of, or he yeah. doesn't want yeah. to mm-hmm. follow in the same path. He recognizes <laughs> the importance <laughs> yeah. of it, you know, as a business. But he does get a reprieve, right? It comes some help. Tyrone. Tyrone. My favorite. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> I think so. Um, I liked the line... Or what Tyrone says, can't stay wrapped in what you come from. Oh, that's I really like advice. That. Yeah, I really like that. Oh, snap. Wait a minute. Right? <laughs> Connections. Connections. <laughs> yes. I mean, you also have this sense of a of a inner secret life for our protagonist here. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Um, um, well, yeah, he of... has hair extensions. He's wearing crinkled suede waistcoats. Of his creation, he went to fashion design mm-hmm. to pursue a career in that. Um, when Tyrone sees him, he he sees him trying on a dress. Yeah. Um. So just that's all we need, right? Yeah. Um. We don't need to know the simple human interaction of right. It's him we- exploring that, feeling comfortable in that more so than the Stevens and Sons. Family mm. business, even though he has a knack for it, he was mm-hmm. able to identify like, oh, yeah. I, I got this. You know, I know what those, what's what pest um, <laughs> you have in this space, um, and that's how the you know the story ends is him still knowing that these things, having that innate like talent for it, but yeah. pursuing his dreams and. Mm. Instead, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah, oh, God, for such a, a, a small amount of text. Mm-hmm. I know. Again, so much to um, 
well, I mean, one, thinking about the craft of a writer, the type of research that goes into it, even just looking into the descriptive elements of, well, what does this insect or what does this pest kind of create? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's gone into this piece. And of course, you have the cocoon, right? It's kind of, I love that, that idea of uh, the way Tyrone approached that whole. It must have been maybe an awkward inter- interaction because in that brief moment he catches him trying to dress, he just moves away and doesn't come back for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when he does, it's always just kind of understood. And of course, Tyrone mm-hmm. doesn't even change the name. So I think he's a very interesting character in that sense, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. he just, he, in his way of telling him that he kind of understands, right, is. Yeah. Holding out that like, cocoon. Like, I knew you were going through a transformation or what a great little story. Mm-hmm. Right. One more positive yeah. one. Well, and, mm. and it is so cool because I'm always fascinated with like sudden fiction, you know, mm. fast fiction, how you're able to have themes and all this like, like twists and turns and stuff mm. and like 300 mm-hmm. words or whatever. And, yeah. and to have like backstories and connections and all that, yeah. right? <laughs> like uh, we've talked about it in the past, yeah. but um, and then I know I've I've I heard them literally today. Um, are we talking about uh, Virginia Woolf being one of his big literary influences? Mm-hmm. Reading Miss Dalloway and uh, the Hours, all that stuff, and mm-hmm. you know she always talks about how she, when she writes characters, she imagines these these deep tunnels of connections, you know, in which they, they have their mm-hmm. history mm-hmm. and context and past. And I feel like that's really strong here in this really short snippet. Mm-hmm. Cocoon. Do you want to talk about your favorite one so far, Richie? This was my favorite one? No, well, you, you no, called me out on my one. favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said, do you want to talk about your favorite oh, one? Oh, I know. Because so... we might have to skip a few. Well, I mean, I feel like if anything with Big Bar and still, we did draw some connections to past uh, books we've mm-hmm. read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so I kind of thought about Tomi by Kali. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which she also mentioned Concrete Rose. Mm-hmm. I guess also The Hate You Give could be mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The prison system. Mm-hmm. Incarceration. Um, how it affects generational you know, yeah. intergenerational families. It's like, you know, no, kids, sons, the end families. of that story. Yeah. Like, oh, the cycle. <clears throat> it's real. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and how tough, I mean, it. so many people don't, and this is why I think maybe we love literature, but I know so many people have trouble empathizing with others. And, you know, when, when sometimes circumstances are beyond your control and things don't happen the right way and you end up incarcerated, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. you know, when you get out, it's people have a hard time finding jobs. And, and I think, again, that's related mm-hmm. pretty well um, how rough it was, you know. And, you know, right away, he, his car gets stolen. But, like, <clears throat> a lot of it's under not under his control, you know. And it just, you, mm. f- you feel that frustration. He's not trying to be, I feel like he's he's reformed, you know, reformed, again, quote, unquote, reformed. But like, he's really trying to provide and and mm. for the family um and of course you have the son that ends up kind of perpetuating uh, this this kind of association with crime by stealing a vehicle because they need one because yeah. he needs mm-hmm. to work and it's just it's so rough kind of an indictment of how how 
sometimes we let people fall in the cracks of that way and this is and like how hard it is for people to lift themselves up mm-hmm. once you're in these situations I think people never consider right yeah because of privilege a lot of times um because of lack of empathy like you said just not being able to place themselves mm-hmm. um in that situation, like, oh, well, I would do this differently. Or it's so easy to just knock it, right? Like, oh, well, why didn't you just, like, desperate times, man. And a lot of these stories, like Ghetto University, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, pandemic hit everyone kind of differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept just thinking in my mind, like, desperate times, desperate measures. Like, they had to do what they had to do, right? And mm-hmm. th- there can't be any judgment because of that um because everyone's situation is different um they're just trying to understand trying to empathize i love that there's a lot of that in these stories and like you were saying earlier too we're we read a lot of like border stories and authors and we immediately connect and stuff but even this like set in a totally different city new orleans and a lot of these stories set like way back when, there's still these themes that we can relate to, connect to, that allow us to think, what would I do in that situation? How would I act or react differently? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which right. is important. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, we talk a lot about that kind of relativism when it comes to like immigration as well, since mm-hmm. we're looking at, at different uh, cultural things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Ooh, these little stories. I know. Wow. Mercury Forges. Did you guys have? I think. I don't I, have notes for that You know what's interesting about that one is like, I feel like there's got to be more to the name. Like we look, I mean, obviously Mercury has a lot already behind it. I just mm-hmm. didn't really think about it till right now. But of course, Forges, to forge something, he does seem crafty. Um, you know, it's this just really short story. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, uh, to put it most simply, what I liked about this is it's about humanity. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have this guard prisoner relationship. Yeah. Um, it's I imagine it's during Hurricane Katrina. I mean, yeah. you get a hit. Think, they yes. mention the hurricane. They don't mention the name, but mm-hmm. um, obviously, there's that's not the only hurricane to come come through. But it was obviously Louisiana was hit hard, mm-hmm. and. You know, the reason why I was asking about his name is because I feel like maybe names are important in this one. I mean, they're important in all the other ones probably, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But to me, you know, when when they have to flee the prison and hide it under the bridge and, and Mercury's running, it's not because he's trying to escape, but he, he wants to go find his dad. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he says, I got to find Humanity Street. Humanity yeah. Street? Like, mm. it's just this brief moment of where they left their roles of guard and prisoner and they're, they're rolling together and his dad's gone already, but he yeah. brings him back. Um, that was a, a nice moment. It was nice. Yeah. Pretty tender. Yeah. I'm not a prisoner right now. You're not a guard right now. This is humanity. We're humans. <clears throat> Which mm-hmm. kind of going Just off weird to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are so like, they're so short, but like they pack a punch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Vanessa, you were saying this earlier, like reading them, Back to back, like we tend to do with short story collections, but these, like, I felt like I had to stop, pause after mm-hmm. each one and just mm-hmm. like reflect for a bit. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, the really short ones, like this one in Cocoon, it's like, mm. oh, 
that one made me feel like mm-hmm. all the feels. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I can come back to it and read Oof. the next one. <laughs> Did we talk about humor already? Even despite like all very briefly the, the heavy topics. There's a lot of humor. Richie and I <laughs> made notes in the margins like haha or lol. You two, Vanessa, right? Yeah. Um, he's funny. I mean, and the voices, the tone, um, in a lot of these stories, um, make you make you laugh, and so you're, you're having a good time with these characters. And I think that also helps build that connection um, with each character in each story. Yeah. Talk about like all the strengths in, in storytelling. You know, appealing mm-hmm. to our our emotions, you know, in all these different ways help so much in the strengths. <laughs> there you go. Pathos. You guys have anything for Cesaro Pittman? Grace of God. Hmm. Yes. I said earlier I was going to call her a bad bitch because she is a bad bitch. Yeah. And I really like how she comes off in court, even though she knows that the judicial system is against her. Um, and that there won't be justice. She still tells her story, honestly, very, like, with pride, um, almost. And I, I, I felt like she was such a presence in the story, like, so strong. And I was, like, rooting for her the entire time. And... Not to give anything away, but, like, towards the end, it takes a turn, and you're like, no, that can't happen. Yeah. But then it takes another turn, <laughs> and then you're totally. like, yes, she's a bad bitch. Um, so it's pretty great. And this is um, – <coughs> this story takes place 1866, mm-hmm. which I really liked. And I believe there's a historical reference in there as well. Revolt. Um, had to look it up. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, eighteen sixty-six. Yeah, because they talk. She actually mentions uh, Paul Dusty holding a white flag when they shot him. Uh, Post uh, Civil War, you still had uh, tensions in the way I believe martial law was called on the land. So um, even though they had already surrendered, a lot of the the, the Democratic like leaders and again, which at that point parties were still like flipped so when we talk about modern parties they're not the same historically but um <clears throat> that's i mean that doesn't mean anything but it it falls in the hand of what you were saying rena about like already we can tell that the odds are kind of stacked against her mm-hmm. in this in this setting and in this, in this situation mm-hmm. it's very clear that she had um just an unlucky uh experience and also she's very smart she picked mm-hmm. up on things she did, a, she had a test to me because we have this man that pretty much uh, <clears throat> assaulted her, uh, sexually assaulted her, and you know was violent towards her. Dressed uh, like a priest. priest, so he was pretending to be a priest, and mm-hmm. so she tested him in the Bible and and was able to deduce that he was evil. <laughs> um, and thankfully, she she also always carries a knife with her. Um, she mentions this as well, kind of already. Yeah. Because of, even though she's freed, mm-hmm. right, post-emancipation, you still have 
a lot of people refusing to accept that, especially here in right. the South. Mm-hmm. You know, that so kind of mentioning the, the, the political climate there. But am I giving it all away? I just love <laughs> yeah, yo, but like it's setting up. Even no, though I, I tried not to. No, 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 no. There's still two <laughs> twists though. There are two, two twists. Two twists. And I and, and so my thing that I'm talking about here though is <laughs> this is one of the stories in the book where, you know, like a really good TV show or movie kind of makes you jump out of your seat and be like, what? Just what? Yes, I, I you know, know, there's a very so power some you know, very it's, sometimes why? it's easy to feel powerless in systems. <laughs> So this was an yeah. interesting way of addressing that. Yeah. Just leave it at that. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're speed running this. We kind of are, but there's to. so much to say. Bigsby. Do you have anything to say about Bigsby or Rhinoceros, Vanessa? I mean, there's a lot to be said. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just so in, these, in all these stories, I think Maurice does an interesting job of like pointing out different attitudes you know of people living in in new orleans and Mm. the complications of race i know in bigsby that kind of comes up a little bit and you know we we all come from (laughs) the whole like genealogy tests and stuff that are coming in now are very interesting Mm. right but this kind of comes into play a little bit in bigsby and you see a lot of microaggression microaggressions and just like straight up like racist Things not only here, but I and, and a bunch of the other things where, mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you're black, if you're dark skinned, people are referenced to celebrities, right? Uh, Cosby is one of them, and I think the other one was um, OJ. OJ, yeah. So things like that, um, just yeah. in your face, like racist stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you can read it, and again, um, through each story, you have different voices. Doing pretty mm, well, yeah. like in the way they're, they're told. Mm-hmm. Rhinoceros is the longest story, so I feel like we at least got to mention a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, did Go you ahead. have anything, Matt? Any guess? I know. No. You just asked, right? I just remembered you were going to talk about hooded justice for was I the other one, but you uh, don't have to. Well, I mentioned it, so <laughs> I'll just say this. You know, it is it is one of the longer ones, and I and I do think that the title again. With the resolution of the story, I think tie in really nicely together because otherwise, mm-hmm. it's not explicitly mentioned in the piece what rhinoceros means. Yeah. But when you get to the end, there's this. It's you're left with an image of what what that is, what's going to happen, but it has to do. You know, rhinoceros focuses on <clears throat> again someone who is, I guess, question not questioning, but like trying to understand their sexuality or or how they how they identify. Gen- yeah mm-hmm. yes um and so kind mm-hmm. of the crux is is having to do with how they want to respond to incidents and of course dealing with their own incidents mm-hmm. but really he's drawing again to like and this was why i intended to refer- reference ellison's invisible man and, mm-hmm. and the lower frequencies and mm-hmm. the epigraph is you have these these People who are living in marginal spaces, you know, like lesser known and, and accepted in larger cultural society, especially in the South, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, you have <clears throat> history of slavery and plantations and <clears throat> uh, religious, you know, institutions that would tell you these things are wrong. So I think by putting these to the forefront, these characters at the forefront, you're telling more stories that we need 
for New Orleans. And as a storyteller, writing about New Orleans, these are important voices to be heard. Yeah. Everywhere. <coughs> right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> this is a good one. I, I want to use this one in class. Um, just because pronouns are so important right now and just all that, I think it's it's necessary to be mm. able to discuss that. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I liked um, the... Again, it's it's a heavy story. There's bigotry. There's a lot of ignorance. There's a lot mm-hmm. of self-discovery, a lot of that stuff, um, a lot of violence. Um, and we see that throughout a bunch of these stories. But um, this one doesn't really, I mean, like a lot of them don't really end on with this like resolution or like closure, mm. which I think is also important um significant necessary um in short stories i feel like a lot of my students are like well these are the stories that i'm used to and they end with this and you feel like okay it's resolved (laughs) and not every story is like that um you're not going to feel warm and fuzzy Mm. after reading these stories um Mm. yeah which makes them more real um and also something you can analyze further in a literature class, talking about that and, and the choices that the author's making here. Mm. Um, I like how real these stories are. I really do. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. That's probably what I like the most out of them. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other <laughs> things is those like the, the. I mean, we're reading literature that is now directly addressing the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. COVID so weird, virus but... masking. That was surreal. Mm-hmm. I mean, read a lot of stuff online, but mm-hmm. now we have this book here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It comes up quite a bit in the stories. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And there's a lot of them. And they're going to keep coming. Yeah. In Rhinoceros. The next few years. <laughs> Ghetto University. Ghetto University is one of my favorites. Definitely one of mine. Yeah. <laughs> and we're almost out of time. Dang it. I know. <laughs> Let's be, talk about this one. <laughs> um, I I think just um, to go back to what you're saying about like hit, uh, the authors. I can't call him Maurice because I don't know Maurice. Um, <laughs> hit Carlos Robin. His um, talent just for really like hooking the reader with his voice and his tone, um, especially in this one, it just grabbed me right away um, because of that first paragraph. I'll read the first paragraph because it's great, and you're going to want to read this story if you haven't yet. <laughs> you would think a black man with two advanced degrees who had once lectured at the Sorbonne, who shook hands with Noam Chomsky and Shirin Ibadi, who prefers Enya to Kanye West, and who will never willingly watch a Tyler Perry film, would not spend his evenings mugging tourists in the French Quarter. And you would be wrong. Record scratch. Love it. <laughs> Super casual. Richie was saying like how he was almost like cocky kind of towards the beginning of the story. He's talking about the pandemic. And you're like, okay, I want to know how he ended up here. Right? So we get that trajectory. Or like we, yeah. we get what his day consists of. There's a lot of dark humor. 
Oof. This one had a lot of yeah. great mm-hmm. language jokes, mm-hmm. puns, and like, oh, and also phrases. Things like, hold on. <laughs> I highlighted stuff. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> unselfconsciously. God, that's a great word. <laughs> unselfconsciously. What? And then I, I kind of had to like laugh and also enjoy feminine scrumptiousness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as phrases god i love that yeah it's just you can enjoy language too right have fun with it avalanche mm-hmm. you know um <laughs> it's great I'm there. I'm there yes i loved it it's hilarious but it's also um god like just so i feel like it's just the right amount of humor like for what it talking about like mm-hmm. so if you want to get at the heart right um without spoilers right I want... Don't spoil it. there's two twists in this one too so be on the lookout like, for that oh my god <laughs> again <laughs> i loved it uh i loved it. it it does bring up though um relevant discourse on on race and uh public space you know, and uh, so I want to. I just want to draw attention to um, <clears throat> Brent Staples is an author who you know had written a piece, kind of about his his uh, insomnia and and habits of walk taking late night walks, in which he discusses how his presence would alter uh, other people's perceptions of him, even though you know he, you know, like here he's a. Studied, well studied in Pushkin, right? Who we know as a <laughs> Russian romantic, romantic writer, mm-hmm. um, and you know has met, shook, shook, shaken hands with like infamous figures. He's worked at the university. Mm-hmm. Um, despite that, you know, it's he. There's this idea of like weaponizing your body and 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 uh, insecurity and and discomfort mm-hmm. in public spaces. So. Mm-hmm. The Brent Staples piece is really interesting because he he kind of mockingly says, you know, uh, how his presence, you know, like I said, alters people. But like he feels that he he uh, he disarms people people by whistling classical music. <laughs> Mozart, yeah. like, oh, they kind of calm down. It's such a very interesting connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I, f- I see that kind of concept coming into play in this piece. So. Definitely something to think about. So if you are teaching it, maybe you can share that as like um, like extra reading. I know students love that, right? But uh, I know, it's Vanessa definitely worth like looking so into. So annoyed it. with me earlier. <laughs> we'll uh, oh, we sec. got to that. No, like we're all geeking out. Like, oh yes, this ties into this piece. We have to. Um, what was the the name of the piece? Um, so Brent Staples. Brent Staples. Uh, yeah, Nightwalker. It's his. You know, it's about his. Oh, I think I read it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and actually, it's it's a pretty common one, I think, in composition classes to teach because it okay. brings up those really excellent questions on on racial identity and Interference. public. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. And I, <laughs> uh, the other thing is, yeah, I mean, there's just like real life incidents of this stuff happening all the time. Mm-hmm. Henry Louis Gates, uh, you know, big time professor was arrested trying to get into his own home you know patricia hill collins you know getting into like some of the feminist like 
intersectionality of it all, right? She says, despite her degrees and everything, like in the street, she's still a black woman, and that says mm-hmm. a, means a lot. So, just some things to think about as you're reading this yeah. piece, but of course, other others as well. So, mm-hmm. there's also that scene where he spilled something on his coat, and then he had to change into an oversized T-shirt, and then the janitor mistook him for a homeless person in mm. the in the college, right? And yeah, just yeah. like his image, how that changed. But that <laughs> reminded me of that mm-hmm. when I first started so teaching, I, I was like wearing ties and smart <laughs> coats, and like damn, I gotta look the part. But yeah, it's, it's such an interesting <laughs> thing, and it yeah. just goes hand in hand with like whole like oh well, if I whistle Mozart, the image. Know, I, oh, let me tell you about. Pushkin and his, you know, this, it's like, ah, come on. Anyway, great twist on that. Don't want to spoil mm-hmm. that for you guys. Yeah, I definitely you should experience spoiler. that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. It's my one of my favorite ones. Mm. And the next one too, right? Yeah. So to end our conversation today, um, token. Going back to earlier in the episode, <laughs> we're talking about Leonardo DiCaprio, the Leonardo. <laughs> can't even say name <laughs> the leonardo dicaprio meme <laughs> he's watching himself um in once upon a time in Hollywood. all right i'm already explaining it way too much but he's pointing at himself because yeah anyway you know the meme <laughs> that's what i thought when i read token and token um is a definite uh, nod to Jamaica Kincaid's Girl. So if you haven't read Girl by Jamaica Kincaid, read it. Um, and then you can kind of see how he's, um, you know, using that uh, f- form, right, to mm-hmm. talk about a young black man in, I don't know, like a white collar job kind of it seems like or mm-hmm. just in um what am I trying to say I'm not as maybe more submissive or more just, yeah just more like how a young black man should act in I general think, like in proper quote unquote proper right. in society mm-hmm. in a way that is acceptable in a way that you'll never cause uh a stir or threat quo. or right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So there's so much, so much in this piece, um, just in the title itself, but it's told in second person, just like Jamaica and Kate's girl is. Um, so it's, it's already, we're reading it like, okay, this is what I have to do. This is how I have to grind. This is how I have to look. This is how I show respect. Um, hmm. How not to be too black how not to, you know, fraternize with the other people who are working below me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just so much. And it's it's so true, right? It's like alluding to this anti-blackness with like when you're looking at yourself in the mirror, be sure to only see a sliver of yourself. Only one of you is desirable, but more than one of you is a rebellion, Oof. right? So that, again, that allusion to threats. Don't be too political, too radical, right? Just under the radar. Um, very, very like sarcastic as hell. Yes. Advice. Yeah. Like, Keep you know. You, you go, champ. You know what you're doing, but this is how you need to present yourself. Uh-huh. Um, that very diminutive like pat on the head. 
Yeah. Yeah, Oh my God. So I just saw Sorry to Bother You. (laughs) And there's like a lot Mm. of like similarities. Now that also is a great critique on like. Oh, that'd be good with with Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hearing you describe it more. Like, like, oh yeah. I just, I Mm. just recently revisited that. Um, It also reminded me of The Hate You Give. Like how she has. Yeah. Um, her school persona yeah. and then Williams and persona. Persona. <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm also curious as if um it's kind of based off of his own life. Because he was a lo- he worked in law, I think mm-hmm. it was before. And so he was in that comes up when we cast a shadow mm-hmm. as well. Like some of those elements. Yeah. Wow. Man. Maurice Carlos Ruffin. <laughs> This this has been great just, so far. I've really enjoyed can this we collection. Can we yes, just all collectively. <laughs> I'm gonna be a poet and snap. This is so good. <laughs> Can't wait I to talk about the rest. I was looking up um, that poem. We wear the mask. Uh, Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Yeah. Because when he talks about when you look in the mirror, find a mask. Always a mask. It double just consciousness. Also reminded me. Mm. Huh. Anyway, we can answer those questions. Oh wow! Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> This is definitely going to spill into the next episode. Yeah, so on the second hour. Cue the next episode. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts, Vanessa? Anything else? Mm, Collectively? No. I'm excited to keep going. I'm excited to talk about this some more yeah. next week. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Literally Literary, brought to you by Border Senses and Power at the Past. This episode, we began our discussion on The Ones Who Don't Say They Love You by Maurice Carlos Ruffin. Join us on our next episode, where we'll continue discussing the collection. If you haven't read it, we hope we inspire you to pick up a copy. Follow us on Instagram at literallyliterary.ep and on Twitter at literallylitep.